Hope you're all doing well. It's lovely to see your faces. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew 28. Fantastic. Let's pray. Father, I just want to thank you that we can come together this morning and just look at your word, look at what you have to say to us, Father God. We get to just unpack that and see what it means for us, Father. I pray, Lord, that as we go through this, this word this morning, Father, would you reveal things to our hearts? Would you bring revelation? Would you bring understanding, Father? And I pray, Lord, that we'd be encouraged and challenged and that you'd be blessed and glorified and honored. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, this morning, my message changed yesterday morning, so that was always fun. Um, one of my biggest fears is that the, um, I remember Lynette's dad once got up to preach, and as he was about to start preaching, he just felt the Holy Spirit completely change his message. I was like, Holy Spirit, please don't ever do that to me. <laughs> you'll, you'll notice I hover within a 50-centimeter radius of my iPad so that I can see my notes. Um, that's my biggest fear so far. Holy Spirit has been kind to me. <laughs> um, no, I'm just teasing. But yeah, I think one of the things we're doing at the start of a new school year, things are fresh. We spoke last week about just a bit of housekeeping, what God's doing with us as a church, where we feel he's taking us. And with that, I just felt yesterday morning, you know, I was going to preach on something completely different, but just like the thing of let's just bring some focus. What is it that we're doing? And if you're new to Rivers, this is a great time to be here because you'll get the heart of what we are trying to do as a church here. Um, if you've been here for a while and you need a bit of a refreshing course, it's, it's a good one to be at as well. So this morning, my to- the title of my message is Focus. And I want to be looking at basically what we believe God has brought us into Bahrain to do and, and just to declare that over us again. I'm in Habakkuk. 2 verse 2 to 4 it says the Lord responded write down this message record it legibly on tablets so that the one who announces it may read it easily for the message is a witness to what is decreed it gives reliable testimony about how matters turn out even if the message is not fulfilled right away wait patiently for it will certainly come to pass it will not arrive late look the one who does the one whose desires are not upright will faint from exhaustion, but the person of integrity will live because of his faithfulness. And so twice this week, I've been in conversations. Um, the perk of my job is that people pay me to make them sweat and get tired and to be exhausted. And the amazing thing is when people are tired and exhausted, they tend to open up very easily about the things going on in their lives. And Two people made the statement this week, uh, one saved, one not saved, and it's just like, I just don't know what the purpose of life is. What is it that I'm here to do? And I think that's what kind of got me thinking about this thing of focus and direction. Where are we going? What are we doing? You see, <coughs> the guy who is a believer has been saved for some time, and it, I was just starkly reminded of how the enemy comes to try and rob us of our identity and of our purpose by bringing us back to this question over and over of what is my purpose. I think so often, I know in South Africa, I don't know what it's like in the rest of the world, when you finish school, the question comes up, what are you going to do with your life? 
What are you going to study? What are you going to do? Where are you going to go? Which university are you going to? Um, and I remember being in the church, all of us were just like, Lord, what are we going to do? And we spent so much time stressing about this big question of what am I going to do for the rest of my life? And most of you have been there. You, in the same situation, everyone asking, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? For most of us, it's when we're 18. For some of us, it's when we're 40. What are we going to do for the rest of our lives? And so if we just came back to this thing, it's like the enemy just constantly comes. Because as believers, we read the Bible, we know exactly what our purpose is. But the enemy comes and he says, well, that, that's too easy. Let me make it a bit more confusing and start to worry about the trivial things, about what work you'll do, what you'll study, and all those other things. So my wife did remind me, I need to just put a disclaimer here. It's not that it's trivial, it's secondary to what God has called us to do. So it's not that it's less important, it's just not the most important question to ask. And so this morning, I want to address the question or the statement of what is my purpose, what am I living for? And I want to give you a general answer, and then I want to address it from more a corporate church aspect as well. So I want to talk about it privately and corporately. What is this for us? And I think I want to address it from a church aspect as well, because every church is unique. Just like every person and every home and every family has a different character, a different personality, a different way of doing things, a different place, a different role. Every church is like that as well. And so this is where Matthew 18, uh, sorry, Matthew 28 comes in from verse 16 to 20, and it says, So the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came up to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so to answer the question of what is my purpose, what am I here to do, we find that here in Matthew 28. When we accepted Jesus into our lives, we were also mandated with what they call the Great Commission. We have been commissioned to go and do something. We have been mandated by Jesus with an assignment to firstly go, to make disciples of all nations, to baptize them, to teach them, and then lastly to remember that he is with us always. <coughs> so what does it mean to be commissioned? To be commissioned is to to receive an instruction, a command, or role that is given to a person. For example, one of his first commissions was to redesign a building. And so it's an assignment that is given towards someone. Another definition is a group of people entrusted by a government or other official body with the authority to do something. And I think that's quite in line with what we believe as Christians, that we have been entrusted by the King of Kings with authority to do something. He says, with all authority in heaven and earth to be given to me, I therefore go and make disciples. So he's saying, I've been given authority. From that authority, I'm sending you out to go and make disciples. So the first thing we are told to do is to go. For most of us sitting in the halls this morning, we have went. <laughs> we've left our homes, we've left our families, 
we've gone to a different country, we have actively done something. For some of us, we may have come with different intentions. We came to make money, we came to get job experience, we came just to get away from something. We're escaping the trivial life back home, the hardships. We came to find something different, something new. For some of us, it was a call from God that we had to just pay attention to. And there's nothing wrong with both of those. But now that we've come to this point, we're like, God, what are we going to do here? It's very important that we remember that our jobs are secondary. Firstly, we have been sent by God to go and make disciples. I've I've said this before, and I'll say it again. You don't go to work, you are sent to work. You don't go to school, you are sent to school. You have been commissioned by the one with the ultimate authority to go into all the world. In every place you go, you have, you're not just going there, you don't end up there by accident, you've been sent by God. You are an ambassador for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. <coughs> I think it's very important that we remember that we are on assignment. We are not here just to make money, we're not just here to make life so that we can settle down one day and have a happy retirement. We are here to do what God has called us to do, and that is to go and make disciples. It's very important to also know that go is not something that happens by accident. Go is an active, intentional thing that is done. It is also a continuous thing. We don't go and then we stop. We go and then we go and then we go and then we go. It's a never-ending cycle. The kingdom of God is not one of regression. It's not a, a kingdom of stagnation. It's a kingdom of constantly moving forward and so we don't go once but we just keep going every day we go every day we are sent every day we are on assignment from the king the story of the first marathon that was run was a story of a man who was sent to go and announce something of a victory if I'm not mistaken and so it's so important that he didn't just run a little bit and send a message and then give up no he kept running and he kept running and he kept going and so <clears throat> it's important that you remember that we're not just running a race for 100 meters. We're not just running a race for two kilometers. We are running a race that is for the rest of our lives. It's constantly moving forward. It's constantly saying, God, what is it that you have assigned me to do? And I'm going to keep doing it. I'm going to keep doing it. I'm going to keep doing it. I think the saddest thing for me is seeing people who once was so on fire that went out for God and then after a few years they lose that steam, they lose that momentum and they just happily sit back and stagnate. And I want to encourage you, if you feel like that's you in that spot, say to God, God, help me, empower me, Holy Spirit, to keep running, to keep going. Because this is a thing for the rest of our lives. The second thing is that we are to go and make disciples. There's a very elaborate English explanation of the, of the go and the make disciples being something that is continuous, a continuous present, and that's very high level for me. I did standard grade English, which is low level English for those who don't know, South African thing. And so they, there are two separate instructions. The first one is to go and then make disciples. So often we think it's go and make disciples, but no, it's First we go, we first get up and do something, and then we make disciples in the process. <coughs> we spent 
uh, Friday morning looking at what it means to be a disciple, looking at the difference between those who have been converted and those who are actively pursuing a relationship with God as his disciples. And so to go and to make disciples are the assignment that we've been given. This is what we've been commissioned to do. To make disciples, you first need to be a disciple. We need to be a disciple of Jesus first, reading his words, meditating on the scriptures, looking at the words that he has given us through, through the Bible. And then we need to be mentored and taught and discipled by others around us. The reason for this is accountability. It is to make sure that we're not bringing in our own heresy and things that might be contrary to what Jesus has told us, but to just walk with each other in discipleship and accountability. We do not just make disciples just for the sake of making disciples. The best way I can explain this is you don't have children just for the sake of having children. We have children so that they can have children, so that they can have children, so that they can have children. The thing of inheritance and legacy that happens when we make disciples. You see, if the early church had stopped preaching the gospel and stopped discipling people, we wouldn't all be here today. We are all a product of thousands of years of people making disciples, of spreading the gospel, of teaching and preaching and baptizing. And so we are all today here as part of an inheritance and a legacy of something that started 2,000 years ago. And I think sometimes we forget that. We're in a present time, we're in a generation that wants instant coffee, but this is something that's been going on for years and for years and for years. <coughs> and so the question I have for you this morning is, are you being discipled firstly by Jesus? Are you reading his word? Are you praying? Are you worshiping? Are you spending time with him? And secondly, are you being discipled by those around you? You see, the reason we do this is for accountability, which I spoke about. We do this for relationship because we know that the Christian walk is not a walk of isolation, but it's a walk we do together. It's a thing of instruction. It's receiving instruction. It's being open to learning and hearing more about the word it's about discipline both discipline in reading and praying and worshiping and putting those things in our lives but also about discipline of when we are out of line that someone can bring us back Be like hey what you're doing is actually out of line let's walk together let's get you to a point of restoration to a place of wholeness in christ because this ultimately brings about maturity and so when we go through the process of discipleship and discipling others we go through accountability, relationship, instruction, discipline, and maturity and growth. And this is how the body of Christ keeps growing. And this is why it's so important that we come together corporately as a church and we worship and we fellowship and we celebrate what God has done. But it's also why it's so important that we do what it says in Acts 2, where we meet from home to home and we come together. Because it says when they did this, they found favor with the people in their city and a great number was added to them. And so we go and we make disciples, but we go from a place of being discipled first, and it's the cycle that keeps going. <coughs> from this point, they baptized them and, and taught them. See, bapt baptism was done in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and it's still done that way today. Um, baptism is symbolic of this process of dying to self. It's symbolic of when you're going under the water, that when you come up, 
the old is left behind. The old is washed away by being born again into the kingdom of God. It's a declaration and it's a milestone. It's very important for us. I'm going to say this. You do not need to be baptized to get into the kingdom of heaven. It is a symbolic declaration that is made, and we do it because Jesus did it. It's a declaration of saying that on this day, I made a decision to die to myself and to become alive to Christ, to be whole in him. It's a milestone. We can look back and be like, on that day, I changed. I made that decision. I allowed the Holy Spirit to come and change me. And so it's very important that we go through this process, but I wanted to say it, it is not a road to salvation. We've got salvation through Jesus, through his death and resurrection on the cross. Nothing more. All right. And the second part is that it says that we must teach them the things that I have commanded you. What does that mean? To teach the things that have been commanded, you actually have to know what it is. And this is where the process of discipling is so important. Because when we read the word, we look at the words of Jesus, we see what he said, we start to learn what those words were. We start to understand them, to get revelation. And so what happens is that we are transformed ourselves. It's very difficult to teach something that you don't understand. I'm sure all the teachers will know that. <coughs> when I was at university, we had to do a lot of lectures ourselves. And it was horrible because you get given coursework and now you've got to present to someone and you're literally like reading it like a parrot because you actually, we didn't understand it completely ourselves. And so it's very difficult to teach something you don't know. If you don't understand something, it's very difficult to get around it. If you can't explain why 4 plus 4 equals 8, you're not going to be able to teach someone else. And so it's so important that we read the words of Christ, that we, we wrestle with these things, that we talk to one another, that we allow the Holy Spirit to come and bring revelation. Because without revelation, there is no understanding. And without understanding, there is no change. And without change, there is no growth or maturity and without growth and maturity, there's no transformation. And so important that we read these words because it brings revelation. Holy Spirit comes and he breathes life into the words that we have read. With that, there's understanding that comes. When we start to understand something, we can apply that to our lives practically and change happens. Which then leads us to maturity, which leads to a transformed life. <laughs> so I almost jumped ahead of myself there. And so it's very important that we teach from a place of being discipled, of revelation and understanding and transformation and change and all these things. But the best part for me is that we were, when we were commissioned, Jesus didn't just say, well, I've given you authority, just go. He says, no, but remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And I love when we looked at the seven letters of the churches in Revelation, for every single one of them, he says, I see you, I know you. There's a personal, intimate connection between the Father and us, the Father and every church, the Father and every community of believers. See, he is with us, but how easy do we forget that? <coughs> I don't know if... For those of you that have been on a business trip or if you've been sent to go do something, your boss will be like, there you go, have fun. And 
you don't always have the privilege of having your boss or your CEO or someone that knows a little bit more than you to be with you. But God doesn't do that. He says, no, I'm sending you, but I'm also with you. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. I'm just going to leave you on your own. But I'm with you forever. It's so easily forgotten. I don't know if you've gone through your day at work and realized at the end of it that you haven't really felt the Holy Spirit around you. You haven't felt that Jesus has been with you. But he is there and he's reminding us, I am with you always. I see you and I know you. And so our purpose in life is to go actively. Second thing is to make disciples, to baptize and to teach them knowing that you have been given the full authority of the Father to do this in Jesus' name. So how do we do this? And this is where the enemy tries to come and he says, well, that's too easy. I'm going to confuse you and be like, well, what should your job be? What should you study? What should your identity be? Because we so often in society and in the world, we want to link identity to the things that we do for work. I'm a teacher. I'm a trainer, I'm a mother, I'm a this, I'm a that. The identity is in the Father, as a child of God. And our purpose is to fulfill the Great Commission. And so how do we do this? Well, my encouragement to you, and I wish I'd been told this when I was a young kid, was do the things that you love. What is your talent? What is your gift? Use it to your ability. There's nothing more beautiful than seeing someone who has a love for something working in that job. I'm going to point Courtney out because I got to experience her in a workplace. Seeing Courtney in a workplace, she comes alive. And people listen, and there's just this beautiful thing that happens where there's this exchange of information that happens. But God has used her in that position to reach so many people. And so I want to commend you on that. It is really a beautiful thing to witness because people listen. And from that place, you've got an inroad to preach the gospel. There's definitely a calling of evangelism and ministry into local believers here that God has called you to. So I want to bless you with that and only challenge you. Go for it. Run with it. Do it. It's really cool. <coughs> so find the thing you love. Run with it. Do it. I wish I would tell Abby to tell the youth this as well. Find what God has gifted you and talent, given you talents to do and just do it knowing that that is secondary. First and foremost, we're here to make disciples, to preach and to teach. You have been sent by the king as an ambassador to bring his kingdom wherever you are. So if you are at home with your kids, you have, are an ambassador of the king. You've been sent to bring the kingdom to your home. If you are a CEO, you've been sent by the king to be an ambassador of the kingdom to bring the kingdom to that place. Nikki, you're the headmistress. She's been sent by the king. For each and every single one of us, we've been sent by the king. We're not here by mistake. We're not going into work just to get money. We have been sent by the king. And it's so important that we remember this. And we do this for the sake of the gospel. And this is what each and every single one of us has been called to do. And then I want to tie this in to what we believe we've been called to do as a church, as a corporate body. As members of Rivers of Joy, our personality, our character, the things that God has placed us to do is different to other churches in the city. We're all here to point people to Jesus, but the way that we do it 
will be different from church to church. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But we can come together in unity knowing that we are here for the sake of the gospel to point people to Jesus. And so our vision, as Nikki mentioned, I think I've got it at the back there. Yes? Should be the last slide. There we go. Our vision is to become discipled disciple makers. So what we've just spoken about, bringing the kingdom in this nation and region for the sake of the gospel. You might ask, are we keep repeating this? And I want to come back to the scripture in Habakkuk that, we, that, I, that I mentioned right at the beginning, where it says, write down this message, record it legibly on tablets, so the one who announces it, announces it may read it easily. For this message is a witness to what is decreed. It gives reliable testimony about what, how matters will turn out. Even if it's not fulfilled right away, wait patiently. For it will certainly come to pass. It will not arrive late. And so our vision is to see the commission of Jesus that he has given us in Matthew 28 to become the fulfillment where we are. In this community, in this nation, and within this region. To see each person discipled by Jesus and by someone else. To see each person discipling someone else as well. I think the best analogy is when you look, when they build with bricks, they don't just lay the bricks one on top of the other, but there's a staggered approach. And if you can picture, if you're the center brick, that you've got a brick on either side of you, two bricks below, two bricks on top. And so you're supported by those that are discipling you, walking with those that are your friends and you have a mutual discipleship relationship, but then you're supporting someone else that you are walking with. And so it's so important that there's a cycle that continues and continues. If you don't have that layered effect, you're going to lose momentum. You're going to become ineffective and stagnant. And that's not what we have been called to do. And then lastly, bringing the kingdom into our spaces, wherever we are, wherever we've been sent. And then our mission is how do we envision doing this? So our mission is to lead people into a fully devoted relationship with Jesus, into the finished work of the Christ and into experiencing an abundant life of freedom. And so firstly, to, do, to be discipled by Jesus is to walk in a fully, relation, fully devoted relationship to him. One of the things I mentioned about Revelation is that Revelation is often seen as a scary book about the end times. But ultimately, it's, about, it's a book about a decision. Are you for me or are you against me? It's about are you following me or are you not? Are you hot or are you cold? I don't... Jesus says, I don't want lukewarm, I want hot or cold. Are you refreshing or are you not? And so it's about making a decision of being fully devoted to our relationship with the Father. No half measures, overflowing, sacrificial. In Romans 12, verse 1 and 2, it says, Therefore I exalt you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a sacrifice, alive, holy, and pleasing to God which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this present world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may test and approve what is the will of God, what is good and well-pleasing and perfect. And so being in a fully devoted relationship to God is being a living sacrifice. 
Bill Johnson makes this joke. He says, the problem with the living sacrifice is it keeps crawling off the altar. And I think that so, so often we find ourselves drifting away, trying to get off there, trying, like, oh, but it's just uncomfortable. It's not nice. Sometimes I just want to watch Netflix and lie on the couch for the whole day and do nothing. But there's this thing of getting up and living as a sacrifice for the Father. Laying down our comforts, laying down our wants, and surrendering to Jesus. And what does it look like? What does it look like to live a life surrendered to Jesus? <laughs> Speaking of Bill Johnson, one of the things he talks about is the Holy Spirit being a dove on your shoulder. It's just like, if you have a bird, I don't know if you've ever had a parrot or a budgie sitting on your shoulder, you walk a little differently. There's no sudden movements, there's no jolting. When you want to pick things up, it's all dainty and fine. And if we live our lives like knowing the Holy Spirit's with us, the way that we walk, the way we conduct ourselves, the way that we speak, the way that we live will change drastically. There's certain things that you can't do when you have a bird on your shoulder. And so it's the same when we have the Holy Spirit in our lives. We're just more aware of him. We conduct ourselves differently. The second thing is about living in the finished work of the cross. It's very important that we understand that we have been made righteous because Jesus died on the cross for us. It is not by our own work. There is nothing that we cannot do enough work to save ourselves. We cannot do enough work to make ourselves righteous. We cannot do enough work to make ourselves worthy. But because of what Christ did on the cross, we are righteous and we have been made worthy. See, on the cross, sin and shame and death was defeated. The veil was torn, and a way to the presence of God, a relationship with him, was made. We were adopted as co-heirs and children of Christ. We received the inheritance of life and the nations with Jesus, and we have been made new. And so that song that we sang this morning, it's just that, it's just this declaration. We have been made new because of what Christ did on the cross. We do not need to carry around the shame and the sin and, the, and the, the embarrassment of the death of life before Christ. But we get to walk in the freedom knowing that he has made us righteous. That he has dealt with our sin once and for all. That he has dealt with our shame. That he has taken the consequences of these things and he has given us life in return. And so understanding the finished work of the cross is understanding that when Jesus cried, it is finished. That it was finished once and for all. We do not need to keep going back and grovel and beg for forgiveness and all these things. No, we can say, Holy Spirit, and we thank you that we can walk in freedom because of what Christ has done for us. And we declare that over and over. So when we take communion, it is a remembrance of what Christ did. It's not putting him back on the cross and saying, yeah, you died on the cross and you rose from the dead. And I've been resurrected with you and I get to have life because of what you did. Because of the blood that was spilled, we have been forgiven and washed and we've been set free. So the shackles of death and Hades cannot hold us down anymore. And this is why it's so important. If we keep dragging the old man with us, we're not going to get very far. But when we understand that we, what Christ did, we walk in freedom. Which leads us to the last part, bit, which is to lead people into experiencing the abundant life of freedom that has been promised in John 10.10. 10. 
The enemy may come to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come to give life and life in abundance. And we find that when we follow him. That whole scripture is found within a passage about him being the good shepherd and how he looks after his sheep. And so it's so important that we don't just say, oh, he's come to give us life in abundance. Abundance me, Jesus, but then we don't do anything. By following him, by being submitted to him, by learning his voice, understanding his ways, we will have life and life in abundance and a protection from the enemy that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. When we learn to understand that living our lives as a sacrifice to God, being wholly devoted to him, and understanding that through Jesus it is finished, it's a done deal, we get to live life in abundance with Jesus. And in closing, I found uh, when Solomon and Lee handed over leadership to Lynette and myself, they gave us this book, very old, thick book like this, and it's been around since 2009, filled with all the prophetic words that have been spoken over rivers over the years. And I was just reading through it over this week, and just want to declare some of them again over us. A lot of us, a lot of us here haven't been around for the last 13 years, maybe about four years or less. So you might not know some of these things. And so I want to just read three. Yeah, I've got three of them. And then just talk briefly about what it is that we believe as rivers God has gifted us with. So the first one um, is from 2014. And I think it's quite pertinent to where we are as a church right now. Again, it says, this was given by Kevin Van Eck, one of the, the leaders from Dover Fellowship. And it says, Jesus is saying the same thing to us today in Isaiah 49 verse 20. This place is too narrow for me. Make room for me to come and dwell. Friends, it's a very different thing when someone comes to visit you. You can fix things up and make them look smart. You can scrub the walls a bit and put, a few, put up a few banners. It is a very different thing when someone actually comes to live in your house. He said, I feel God wanted to do with you in the season is to take you into this thing of, I want you to make me room. I want you to give me more room. The narrow places in your lives, things where you have, be, have given God just a little cap, offer me only a little cap up to, sorry, Things you have given God just a little cup, offer only a little cup up and say, Lord, won't you only fill up this little cup? And God is looking at us saying, this cup is too small. I'm going to destroy this little cup. And what I want to do too is waste it. I feel like God wants to create something more this morning. I feel he wants, us, wants to come and put his hand into our heart in places where it becomes narrow, where we have become too narrow where there isn't space for him to dwell. God is saying it's become claustrophobic. He doesn't want us to suffer from anything. He's not afraid of anything. He wants us to make more room. And so this thing of we've given God this little cup saying, oh, won't you just fill this little cup? And God's saying, no, I want to give you more and more and more in abundance. The second one, uh, this was given in 2016 says, I see in the spirit the Lord is wanting, sorry, the Lord is wanting to this church large financial deposits. He has given instruction where there are financial deposits coming in in significant amounts. It speaks about 
uh, it says, I see five church plants coming out of rivers of joy in significant places. You might see them as little seedlings, but they're going to become massive trees that are then going to create more trees. And I think this is quite exciting because since then, there's been two church plants. And so I'm just like, okay, Lord, where are the other three? Let's do it. So if you want to put up your hand, let me know. <laughs> but I think with that, we've witnessed this with both Devlin and Zurich in Sri Lanka and with Lloyd and Kat in the Philippines, where they've gone and there's just been such amazing provision for them. Where there's been this thing about God uh, seeing large financial deposits coming in for these people and it's happened. And God has been so faithful in allowing them to run with what he has called them to do. And then the last one, uh, this is from 2017. It says, while praying the other day, I saw a picture of the inside of this church with hospital beds all around the hall. Suddenly the doors flung open and people who were injured, bloodied, and in pain started to stream into the hall and make their way to the beds. Soon after, the doors on the sides of the halls opened and doctors started to make their way to the patients. I recognized some of them, the doctors, as members of this church, but there were faces I didn't know. I felt the Spirit say that Rivers as a church and this venue is going to attract the broken, bloodied, and those in pain. But God is also going to bring in doctors, those who are mature, who have studied, and they'll use these people to bring about healing through him. I think that's quite encouraging for me is just that we believe that Rivers of Joy is a place of refuge, a place of healing, a place of hope, and a place from which most of us will ultimately leave and go and do something somewhere else for God. I think one of our biggest prayers is that as we see people leave, that they won't leave and just go and disappear into the abyss, but that they will become effective members of the body of Christ wherever they go, that there would be an encouragement and a blessing to each and every person that they encounter. So one of the things that we talk about is space and grace because we want this to be a place where people feel safe, where people feel loved, people be, feel cared for, that people can come in hurt and broken and bloodied and in pain and they can allow the Holy Spirit to bring healing and hope into each and every heart. That, the, that we would leave knowing who we are in Christ, knowing that we have been discipled by him, that we've come to a place of maturity, and that wherever we go will be a blessing to those around us. Because the reality is not all of us are going to stay here for the next 20 years. But we trust that through this process that, this, that what God is doing here will keep going, will keep going, not just in this city, not just in this community, but wherever each of us go ultimately. So I want to bless you with that. Can I pray? 